Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today I'm talking to Abidare, the author of The Girl with the Lauding Voice, which is out now from Dutton. So when I first heard about this book, it was on Instagram, and I saw that it was chosen as a Read with Jenna pick. Since then, I've seen it on so many different Instagram feeds, like Spines and Vines, and I just knew I had to pick up a copy and check it out myself. So this book is about a young girl named Adoni who is basically sold by her father into a marriage when she is 14, and uh, she really just wants to get an education. And so since her mother has died and her dad has forced her to marry this man and become this man's third wife, uh, she feels like that education is going to be out of her grasp. But in a series of events, she ends up working as a maid in Lagos. The novel unravels from there. So a little bit about the author before we jump into my conversation with Albi today. Abidare grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, and has lived in the UK for 18 years. She has studied law and has a degree in international project management from Glasgow Caledonian University. It's pretty cool. She also has an MA in creative writing at Burbeck University of London. The Girl with the Louding Voice is her first novel and actually won the Bath Novel Award for Unpublished Manuscripts back in 2018 and was also selected as a finalist in the 2018 Literary Consultancy Pen Factor competition. So it did pretty well for itself. So I'm so glad we now have it here on this side of the pond and we all have the opportunity to read it. Uh, Albi now lives in Essex with her husband and her two daughters, both of whom inspired her to write this novel. So I am very thrilled to bring to you today my conversation with Abidare. Well, welcome to the podcast, Abi. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I have in my hands your gorgeous book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, uh, and it's been published in uh, several countries at this point. What has that experience been like to see your story all over the world? Oh, incredible. Um, I Sometimes I pinch myself still, (laughs) that um, the book is out there. I worked on that book for about three years before it was published, and I didn't think it would be published. And so seeing it being received and read is incredible. I'm very grateful. Uh, So this is your first book. Uh, What was that publishing journey like? And was there anything that surprised you about it? It was very exciting. I, I I, mean, I've been writing on my own for years, just trying to navigate, just tell my stories. But I decided to do a master's degree in 2016, so about four years ago, in creative writing. And that was because I felt that I needed to sit with people like myself, like minds, who had an interest in writing. I wanted to do something serious with it. So that's where I started my, my publishing journey from. So the book was part of my thesis or my dissertation um, for my creative writing master's degree. And then from there, I won a, a Bath Novel Award, a competition in London. And it was judged anonymously, which was the only reason why I entered for that, because I thought I wanted, because I was writing in non-standard English, and I wanted to see whether anyone would even understand the story or whether to connect or resonate with anyone. So I was hoping for at least a commendation, a commendation from the judges, but to have one that was just amazing. And from there, I got, got an agent and the book was ready to be submitted to publishers and it went through an auction process. 
So more than one publisher was interested. And that was just exciting. I think the most um, surprising part for me has been the reception and just how much I need to talk about my book and sort of engage with readers because you're so used to being in your own little corner for years writing. You don't realize that once the book is out there, you do need to talk and engage. And it's been exciting, but just quite surprising. But I've loved every moment of it. And how many countries has it been published in up to this point? I've seen several different beautiful covers. So it's the Commonwealth, which is, I'm not sure how many countries that is. Um, so UK, Australia, Ghana, Nigeria, a few other countries, quite a lot of countries. Uh, it will be coming out in it. Italian, I believe, and Spanish, I think, and then um, in the U U.S. and Canada and those regions as well, So, which is just incredible. And you mentioned the book is written in non-standard English. For listeners who might not know what that is, what does that mean for um, the storytelling in your book and guess how that plays out and what was your strategy for that? So, I, I mean, there's something I came up with in terms of non-standard English because I there's something called broken English and there's something called pidgin English, which some people are familiar with. But Aduni doesn't speak either of this. She really invents some of her words and she borrows from pidgin English and borrows from broken English to, to create this, what I call non-standard English. So it's basically a way of speaking English in Aduni's way. So she navigates the language in her own way and and uses words that she feels that she's comfortable with and understands. And these are words that are not necessarily familiar with people that speak everyday standard English. Writing that was quite interesting for me. I knew that, I mean, growing up in Nigeria and Lagos, I grew up with in a neighborhood where we had a lot of housemaids. My family also had housemaids. And many of the, the maids that we had did not speak standard English. They, they navigated their way around the language. There was no two housemates that spoke the same way, depending on where they came from, what country or what state or what part of Nigeria they came from. They, they had different words. And so I wanted Aduni to, to reflect that, to show that she was different, but she could articulate herself in her own way. But I also wanted to show that the fact that a person or a character doesn't speak standard English, as we all know, it doesn't mean they're not intelligent that English is not a measure of how smart you are or how funny you are or intelligent you are. I also wanted to show that as well. It's quite challenging at first, but as I got into a flow of it, I formed a cadence. And I think from chapter four, I started to get quite, it started to get quite easy and fun. Actually, I, I began <laughs> to enjoy looking for words and inventing things. And I had a two-year-old daughter then, she's five now. But she was also navigating her way. She was born in England, probably had been to Nigeria when she was a baby. But she was also navigating the English language herself and trying to make up words. And she would say some interesting and funny things. And I would run to write it in the glossary I had for Aduni. And I would, <laughs> and I would use that and sort of create and make it more Nigerian, so to speak, and, and just put that in the book. And I really took a lot of risks because I was writing thinking, well, no one's going to read this. So I might as well and have fun and enjoy it. But yeah, people are reading it now, so <laughs> I'm having to answer this question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, the audio is a very interesting experience because mm. the narrator does voice that. I mean, it's, it's a first-person story, and so they're they're reading this book. And at first, it kind of takes you a moment to get into the rhythm of things. Uh, mm -hmm. But then once you understand how Adani, uh expresses herself you're like okay it's like your mind clicks almost like when you watch a Shakespeare play and your mind has to mm -hmm. adjust to the language mm -hmm. it was a mm -hmm. really interesting experience mm -hmm. it's wonderful and we'll be back with more from this episode of reading women after a word from our sponsor I'll say now from Grove Press writers and lovers the latest novel from Lily King 
Following the breakout success of her critically acclaimed and award-winning novel Euphoria, Lily King returns with an unforgettable portrait of an artist as a young woman. Writers and Lovers follows Casey, a smart and achingly vulnerable protagonist in the last days of a long youth, a time when every element of her life comes to crisis. Written with King's trademark humor, heart, and intelligence, Writers and Lovers is a transfixing novel that explores the terrifying and exhilarating leap between the end of one phase of life and the beginning of another. An indie next pick, Writers and Lovers has earned enthusiastic praise from writers including Madeline Miller, Elizabeth Strout, and Tessa Hadley, who calls it her favorite of Lily King's books so far. Vulture says the novel will become a defining classic for struggling young writers. Writers and Lovers is available now wherever books are sold. Uh, you mentioned your your daughters. Um, I saw in another interview that this book is partially inspired by your daughters. Could you talk a little bit about that and how they inspired you to write the story? So my my I have two daughters. Um, one is, was eight when I started writing. She's 11 now. And the other was two. So they're both inspired in different ways. One from a language point of view, the younger one. But the eight-year-old, we had a conversation. I was in the kitchen and I asked her to help with offloading the dishwasher. And her reaction, as they do react, was one of moans and I really don't want to do this. I'm really tired. And, you know, it's so frustrating having to help you out. So I said to her in that conversation, I said to her that, do you know that the young girls like like you who are probably working for families like ours in Nigeria? And she said, well, uh, that's really cool, mom. Do they get paid? Can I get paid for what I'm doing? And I had to sort of break it down and say to her, no, I don't mean the kind of job mommy does in terms of working in office. I mean that what I'm talking chores, I'm talking um, hard work, I'm talking about young girls who might not have what you have. So some of them that I knew growing up were not um, privileged to be educated or watch TV with the families they live with or, or even that at the dining table with the families. Many of them were not well treated. And she was kind of shocked, but she asked me, she said, mom, why would anyone put their child into that. Why would a young girl go and work for a family? And I wondered, you know, to myself, I, I knew it was poverty, but I wondered if there was more to that story, if I could tell this story. And so I think that night I couldn't sleep, actually. I began to think back to growing up in Nigeria about the maids we had. I spent nearly 20 years there, so I know this quite well. It's very, very common to have housemaids, and it was not uncommon to have them as young as eight sometimes. So I began to think about that, and I began to go through my research. Going, I went online and began to read articles. But there was one I came across that evening about a 13-year-old girl who had been scalded with boiling hot water by the woman that employed her. And in this article, this girl's um, face was blurred out. It was uh, a way to protect identity, but I was asking questions. I was asking, who is this girl? What is her story? Surely she has dreams. What are her dreams? And so I wrote the book in trying to make the girl the center of the story. I didn't want it to just be a story about slavery, about modern day slavery, or about a housemaid. I wanted it to be about Dunia. I wanted it to be everything about her, what makes her happy, what makes her sad, her entire journey. And so, but that only came about because of the conversation I had with my eight-year-old. The story is very complex and intricate in all of the different things that you tackle. And the title of the book is The Girl with the Louding Voice. I feel like there's a lot of symbolism in that title, and I don't want to give any spoilers, so I might dance around this a little bit. <laughs> but what is it about that title, and what does it symbolize for Aduni and how the book plays out? But I think that Aduni was born into a culture 
and into a rural part of Nigeria. So, the, the, I mean, Nigeria is vast, it's huge, and there's extreme poverty, but there's also a lot of wealth. And she was born, unfortunately, in the part where there is poverty, and she was she was born in a part where a girl child is not seen as valuable, and she was seen as someone that should be silenced, right? That's one. Two, her education was not that important to her father, but her mother really valued this. Her mother didn't have an education and she wanted her daughter to have one. And so her mother says to her that your education will give you a voice. But Ajani says, I don't just want that. I want to have a louding voice. And so to her, that means to be able to, one, to be educated because she wants to become a teacher. Two, it also means to be able to create a legacy. So she doesn't want to help herself alone. Ajani wants to help other girls like her in her village or in villages like hers and rural areas and all the parts of the world who have been marginalized, who've been silenced and who've been um, forced into into child marriages and domestic servitude. She wants to fight for them. She wants to fulfill her dreams and become everything she can become. So it's it's really about, you know, becoming yourself, expressing yourself, fulfilling your dreams, speaking up, refusing to be silenced, having a louding voice. She wants it to continue forever and ever, even after she's no longer here on earth. So that's what she wants. And it's a bold dream to have. And that's what she sets to try to achieve in the story. There's a scholarship program that she applies to in the book. And as you were doing your research, did you discover scholarship programs like that that might have inspired that part of the story? Or is there anything like that um, in her area of the world? I found quite a few, but they weren't geared towards domestic workers. So um, I that was kind of created in, in the story. And they weren't geared to one, towards domestic workers, two, towards young girls. But there are different scholarship schemes that are run by all, because Nigeria is an oil-producing oil nation. And so there are quite a few that are run by all companies and even various different organizations across the country. But the one in the story was, a, was fiction, fictional. I just invented it based on what I'd seen. So you mentioned some of the research that you've done for uh, on domestic workers and, and different parts of girls' education. Uh, what other things did you research for this book? Because you cover so many things. I imagine it was quite the task. It was, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> but I enjoyed, I enjoyed every moment of it. And, and I sort of researched moment by moment because I, I, I kind of planned the book, but when uh, I started writing, like, okay, I'll think, okay, child marriage, let me read about this. One w- one of the research I did was just ensuring that the facts I put in the book, because from the, the half half of the book to the end, middle half to the end, I started to put facts into each of the chapters. And so the facts I did the research on just to try and make sure that I was saying the truth and, and that it was an actual fact. It wasn't just hearsay. Um, but also reading articles and just checking the um, the law on, on child marriages for different states because Nigeria has interstate laws. It also has federal laws. And sometimes even the federal law, the law of the entire country governs all the states, but sometimes some states can get away with it, so to speak. So you find that um, in a state where child marriage is legal, it's the girls there are uh, bound to suffer more than girls that are born in another state where there's education and there's progress. So it was interesting trying to research that, you know, just I did a lot of research online, to be honest, in terms of reading the articles, understanding the case law, speaking to some of my friends who were lawyers. I have a friend who's a human rights lawyer and just hearing from her, her own, you know, her own experience, her own stories, her advice. Um, but I enjoyed, I, like I said, I enjoyed every every moment and researching that and stay, putting that out there. As her story progresses, she has 
a lot of people who are not very kind to her, but she also has several figures in her life that really encourage her. There's someone who encourages her to apply to the scholarship scheme. There's a Miss Tia, who's one of my favorite characters, who is mm-hmm. uh, encourages her to, you know, trust that, you know, she's been given all of the talents that she needs and encourages her in that way. And I really appreciate how you also had a commentary on how the community needs to support these girls. They shouldn't be left on their own to try to figure things out. And that was such a a beautiful part of the book as I was reading it. Thank you. When you were writing all of these different characters, uh, I imagine, you know, with the plot, you didn't want someone just to come in and fix everything for her. But she also does need support in her life. Um, How did these characters come onto the scene um, in her story? And was that something that you had planned all along or they just appear and decide, you know, kind of how characters do decide to just do their own thing in the story? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them actually just turned up. But Tia, I planned from day one because I really believe in the value of mentorship and female empowerment. And that was something and female friendships when it goes well. That was something I really wanted to point out from the start of the story. I knew that I was going to write a story about this and I wanted to have a woman who would empower a young girl because I believe that we can empower young girls without even stepping out of your homes by just putting up a post on social media. You might be empowering somebody anywhere in the world. And so I wanted to show that. And obviously, because as the story progresses, without giving any spoilers, Tia doesn't really have to do much to actually change Adeni's life. She turns up and helps but really, the, the little time that she puts into this young girl's life was enough to change her life and the generation. And I wanted to show the power in kindness, in female mentorship, in in showing, putting your own voice out there. So, so somebody I always say that, that really inspires is Michelle Obama. I've never met her, but she's inspired me greatly by just writing a book and speaking up for female education, for girl education. So... I think she was planned. But the other really interesting characters like Big Daddy, he just turned up into that scene in the living room. He just turned up. And I was like, okay, well, let's have him here. And and Kofi, who's the cook, he turned up. And I thought, nice, let's have him here. And he's not Nigerian, he's Ghanaian. And I also did that because... So I wanted to show that, you know, Africa is made up of many countries, just like Europe is. And that, you know, having a Ghanaian on the scene would show that, okay, there's a part of... I mean, Ghana is very close to Nigeria. It's a 30-minute flight but they're two different countries. I just wanted to show that. So he turned up and I said, no, I like you, keep you on. And so many, many of the characters turned up to, to help to carry Adini's journey forward. She needed to keep going. And so they, many of them just turned up along the journey um, to help her through. Uh, One of the characters that actually also surprised me, who I loved was Khadija, who turned up quite early in the story. And I liked her and I thought, well, this is nice. Let's keep you in here, but maybe not for too long. So yes, yeah, so quite a few surprises for me. And I, I love surprising for surprises in my writing. It's when it's really fun. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is The Henna Artist by Alka Joshi. The Henna Artist is about a young woman who escapes from an arranged marriage and makes her way from her 1950s rural village to the vibrant pink city of Jaipur. There, she becomes the Henna Artist and confidant most in demand to the wealthy women of the upper class. But trusted with the secrets of the wealthy, she can never reveal her own. Vivid and compelling in its portrait of one woman's struggle for fulfillment in a society pivoting between traditional and modern, The Henna Artist is the perfect book for your book club or just when you need an escape for yourself. 
This book is on sale March 3rd, wherever books are sold. And thanks so much to the Henna Artist for sponsoring this episode of Reading Women. I really loved all of the different supportive characters mm. in the protagonist's life. And, and it just felt like I could feel that they were a bastion of comfort for her and reassurance mm-hmm. in the, her life, which is a very tumultuous full of so many changes so quickly and these women are a great support to her and I really appreciated all those like feminist themes of women supporting women and it just meant I think so much to hearing that in that kind of story one of the things that I really appreciate the way you covered is um, fertility and infertility and how that's seen or perceived in the book as a woman's problem. <laughs> yes. And how there's still so much stigma around women being childless and how that's not normalized. And so there's this scene in the book. I mean, it's a really, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's a very difficult scene to read. And there's so much stigma for that character who experiences that um, kind of ritual to try to cure her infertility. Did you do any research on that? And what was your process for including that part of the book and um, and, and different things like that. So that I knew it happened to somebody I know. So it wasn't, um, it was, it was kind of based on real life, but obviously I massaged it a little bit to show, but it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon where I'm from all over the world to find that, you know, any, anything to do with fertility is the woman's problem. If she chooses not to have children, it's her problem. And it's, it's a problem. I put that in quote quotation. And, and I wanted to sort of show that, you know, why. And in terms of the rituals, Nigeria can be parts of Nigeria in certain states, um, the Yoruba culture, where I'm from, we can be quite superstitious and believe in certain rituals and, and we believe in curing things in, in different ways. And so because somebody, you know, I knew that this had happened uh, who gave me permission to, to share that story. I knew this had happened. I wanted to show that, that even within a community of educated, wealthy women. So this is this wasn't Aduni in the rural village, not educated. This was educate, the educated women. This was 2015, I think it was when this happened in the story. I want to show that it's, you know, it's something that, that I've seen happen. And it was ridiculous. And so I just wanted to show that out there to just, I, I think I was quite upset when I was writing that scene as well, because he really quite affected me quite deeply um, in trying to, to show that, that, that scene and that, that piece, that story. Yeah. And I, there's this line um, that Adonis says is something about just because you are rich and you live in a nice house or something doesn't mean mm-hmm. you have no problems. And mm-hmm. I think that moment for her, as this is, you know, like a coming of age story, she realizes that sexism touches mm-hmm. every every woman in Absolutely. in around her. Yeah, Absolutely. It, it was such a important moment, and um, for especially with her her relationship with that woman that experienced that as well. Yes, absolutely, and she realizes that you know, I, you know, she's come out of poverty, hoping to get educated and into me, hopefully make some money, but she's still a woman. She will be a woman. She's still a girl. She's going to have to fight some of the battles that she's seen Big Madam fight. She's seen the woman who is her friend fight. She's seen these things and she's thinking, wow, what's in store for me? What do I have to battle as a woman in this world? It's not just Nigeria, in the world. We women have a lot to fight. 
and, and I just wanted to show that in one way from the eyes of a young girl who might be naive looking out there and saying, wow, this is happening. Even with your wealth and your education, this can still happen to you. There's just something there's something really beautiful about the solidarity that they find with each other and that these different women's experiences. So, um, well, I could talk to you about this book for several more hours, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but to close out the interview before I let you go, I always like to ask authors uh, books that they would recommend or written by women. And since this book is set in Nigeria, I thought you might have some Nigerian women writers that you might want to recommend to our listeners. Sure. Ayobami Adebayo, um, the author of Stay With Me, is the book. Stay With Me is one I would love for people to read. It's a great book that explores the dynamics of a marriage, of a woman struggling with fertility and some of the 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 the, the obstacles she, she tried to overcome and the, the dynamics of their relationship. It's a beautiful book. I think it came out two, three years ago. Very well received. Fantastic story if anyone wants to look at that again, something similar to The Girl with the Loud Voice, but from a different different set of characters, both educated, very, very lovely, wonderful book. The closest to my heart is that book at the moment. The other one who is not a, not a Nigerian writer is um, Kali Duseni's A Thousand Splendid Sons is my favorite book of all time. Again, another book that looks at the, the woman and a woman trying to rise above the obstacles and the limitations of culture and tradition in a country that is not familiar to me, but he, he paints such a beautiful picture of, of Afghanistan in terms of the challenges and the beauty of the landscape. A, a beautiful story that made me cry a lot and just really tugged at my heartstrings. And that's another one I always recommend alongside Stay With Me. It is a beautiful story. So right now you're still doing a lot of media and promotion for The Girl with the Louding Voice. Uh, but what's next on your agenda? Do you have any projects on the horizon that you'd like to tell our listeners about? I'm always thinking about what could be, <laughs> but it changes every day. So if you ask me about this tomorrow, I'll tell you something else. But I know that I'm interested in in women, in the stories of women, about women. I love um, exploring the human condition. I love looking at tradition and culture and the positives and the negatives and trying to put that into a story that can shed light um, in a way that is um, nuanced and balanced. So um, I know that whatever I'm working on next is going to be something along those lines. It's going to be about women. It's going to look at culture and tradition, Nigeria, maybe the UK. And um, yeah, and just see how we, my characters navigate that. Well, we will keep our eyes peeled for it. And uh, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting thank with me. Thank you for I having really me. really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank Abi Dare for talking with me about the girl with the louding voice. You can find Abi on social media at Abidare underscore author. And of course, all of that information, including a link to the publisher's website, will be linked in our show notes. I'd like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women over at readingwomenpodcast.com, where there's also a full transcript of this episode, and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find me at Katie Winchester, and thanks so much to all of you for listening to Reading Women. Reading Women.